Would you welcome my friend Abraham? Thanks, man. So has anyone here seen the movie Vertigo? Anyone here? We've got some nods of affirmation, some hands in the air. That's good. The good news is we all have taste, so that's, that's a positive thing. Everyone else here, I'm not so sure about. Um, you know, you need to stop checking out the latest Kate Hudson offering or the Michael Bay spectacles and, and see some classic movies like Vertigo. It's a Hitchcock movie. Alfred Hitchcock's known as the master of suspense. Um, and, and really, I think you ought to check this movie out. Uh, some of you, maybe when I said Vertigo, the first thing you thought of was the, that U2 song that came out uh, several years ago. There was an iPod commercial that came with it. The problem with that song is that Bono, he doesn't really teach you anything about Vertigo. The only thing that he, he really teaches you is, is how not to count in Spanish, if you remember. <laughs> he, he doesn't get that right, so don't, don't follow him there. Um, but at least in the Hitchcock movie, we get an idea of, what, of, of vertigo. What, what is vertigo? Let's take a look at a, a clip here. Okay, maybe the special effects uh, didn't convince anybody here to see the movie. <clears throat> but really, it's, it's the plot. The plot's amazing. So uh, it might have looked... That was Jimmy Stewart there, by the way. It might look like Jimmy Stewart had uh, a fear of, of heights. But really, it wasn't uh, a fear of heights that was plaguing him, but it, it was vertigo. And so vertigo is, is, is something... Uh, it's an ailment where your, your sense perception's off. So you feel like you're falling when you're, you're not, actually. Uh, he, you know, he was hanging off a roof. Uh, none of us will be in that situation soon, hopefully. But even if, you're, if you have vertigo and you're standing, it, it seems like the room's moving, and you're actually like you're falling. And you might, you know, grab onto something to break your fall. Uh, and, and so if, if you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard, uh, in church people use the word fall and, and the concept of falling, but... Uh, we use it in a, in a different sense. Uh, I, mean, I know here at Green Tree, you guys have been going through Genesis as, as a, a sermon series. And so you, you've talked about the fall that occurs. Um, for those of you that haven't been there or haven't heard, uh, in, in Genesis, it's the creation story that God gives us. And so we learn in Genesis 1 and 2 that, that God created everything good. But in Genesis 3, the third chapter, we learn that a fall occurred. And, and we use that term to to talk about when everything went wrong. So in the beginning, things were good. We live in a garden. There's harmony. But then things went wrong. Sin entered the world. And, and with it, suffering, death, disease, all those sorts of things. So that's, that's what we call the fall. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you know, you, you just accept that and move on. But, I mean, really, do we, do we really believe in the fall? I mean, wasn't there like a talking snake in there somewhere? I mean, is that real? Maybe it's just another one of these creation myths, you know? I mean, every society, every culture has a creation myth that they try to explain how things originated. I mean, that didn't really happen, did it? It, sound, it's just, it sounds a little ridiculous, right? Uh, so maybe Christians have a spiritual vertigo. 
you know, where we think we're falling, we think we see the fall around us, but there's, maybe there's something wrong with us, something wrong with our, our sense perception. But what do you guys think? Do the Christians have spiritual vertigo? I mean, maybe we just need to lighten up, you know? Uh, there's plenty of churches actually that, that preach that way and, and teach that, um, especially evangelicals. Like, why are we always talking about sin and temptation, condemnation, the law? I mean, we should just, maybe we should just be more positive. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe Christians have spiritual vertigo. We're seeing something that isn't there. We see that we're falling. Well, maybe we're not. Well, we're going to look at a passage today, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. And this is one of the most renowned passages of, this, of the Bible. It's a prophecy of, of, that tells of, of, the, of Jesus, of the Messiah. And, and Isaiah is going to help us out with this question about spiritual vertigo. So for us to understand what Isaiah is saying, we've got to sort of put ourselves in the, in the mindset of, of his original audience. Who is he talking to? So Isaiah was a prophet that, that God called, and, and he had a message for the Israelites, who, these people that God chose. Now God chose them to be his special people in order that God's blessing would go from Israel to the rest of the world. So they're going to be his vehicle of blessing. The problem was Israel, at this point in time, when Isaiah comes around, they weren't doing so well. Uh, they'd rejected God. They were rebelling against him. Uh, they weren't living on this mission that, that he gave them to be a blessing to everybody else. Instead, they're going their own way. So Isaiah comes uh, into this sort of, it's a tragic situation. And, and because the people of Israel rejected God, they rejected his protection as well. And and so in Isaiah's time, there's this foreign superpower called Babylon. Isaiah predicted that they, Babylon was going to take over Israel. So this is a, you know, again, this is a, a tragic turn of events for, for Israel. This isn't the way that, that they were supposed to live out their mission. Uh, but in the midst of this prophecy, Isaiah also has some good news. The bad news is Babylon's coming. The good news is that this Messiah is coming. Messiah means the anointed one. Anointed meaning just a chosen person. And what Isaiah is saying is that this chosen person, this, this Messiah, is going to set things right again. And so he's going to reestablish the people of God and, and give them protection from their enemies and, and make things right again. But then the twist of it is, in the midst of Isaiah's prophecy, this, this good news of this Messiah, he starts to talk about this, this figure that we call the suffering servant. And it's just, it's perplexing. It's just strange. Uh, the people that Isaiah was talking to, they didn't, know, they didn't quite understand it. Um, because what does suffering have to do with victory? You know, this Messiah is going to come and conquer, but then why, why are you talking about suffering, you know? Uh, and, and actually, um, later on in the, in the Bible, the gospel writer Matthew, he, he applies this prophecy to Jesus and... Uh, but even then they don't get it. They don't quite understand. What, what is Jesus talking about with suffering? Um, and, and what does suffering have to do with, with the Messiah? So, so with that said, let's, let's look at this passage from Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. I'm just going to read it out loud. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's all take a moment and pray. Please join me. Dear Father, this is a, a heavy passage. It's sobering. It's deep. It, it's weighty, Lord. And uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that, with, that is with us now, even in this moment. Some of us are excited to be here, to be with each other, to be in your presence, and to encounter you. But some of us are distracted right now. I'm uh, thinking about some of uh, our cares and our worries that we carry with us. We know that you know those, those worries, and we ask you for the strength to set them aside in this moment. Give us the ears to listen to you and, and hear you. Give me the words to say, and help us to know you better. Amen. So, so Isaiah is going to help us with this question about spiritual vertigo. And uh, we're going to first see what he's saying here and then to come back to this question. So in, in uh, verse 4, like we just read, the first part of verse 4, he, he, he mentions a couple of things. He says, he says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now he's sort of, you know, jumping ahead of the, he's sort of jumping ahead on us, isn't he? Um, he's assuming some things here in a sense. I mean, someone's bearing our griefs, carrying our sorrows. But what sorrows? What griefs is he talking about? These words might appear to be just emotional words, you know. Um, but really, when you, you dig in, you, can, you actually get the sense that, that this isn't just emotions. Uh, I mentioned uh, this, this passage is used in Matthew 8. Uh, Matthew applies this text to Jesus' healing ministry. Now, Jesus was healing people from sicknesses, from diseases, um, from demonic oppression, and and uh, and this, when he's doing that, he's he's fulfilling this part of the prophecy. So really, the griefs and the sorrows are are how we're affected by sin. All of us are affected by sin, and uh, those are our griefs and sorrows. Now Isaiah might have been talking about famine and pestilence, but we, we don't have to worry about those things. I mean, we're all middle class here, most of us. Um, and, and so we're, you know, we're kind of removed from that, but we're not immune to having griefs and sorrows, are we? Um, some of you might have heard of a little-known thing called a swine flu. Anybody hear one thing about that maybe somewhere? I mean, it, it's, it's been all over the place, right? I mean, you couldn't go two steps without hearing about swine flu last year. Um, especially if you have kids, you definitely heard about the swine flu. Uh, people want to get the vaccine, you know. Uh, women and children first. Uh, I know in my house, I'm washing my hands, uh, you know, more than I ever have before. That's probably a good thing. Um, so, you know, there's a swine flu. And, and uh, I don't know what is it, you know, what's with the animal flus. Because we had the bird flu not t- too long ago, you know, and now we have the swine flu. I don't know what's next. Um, but something a little more serious, definitely more serious than swine flu even is, uh, is cancer. Now, almost everyone has been affected by cancer in some way, shape, or form, whether it's you yourself, a loved one, a friend, someone you work with, or maybe someone that you know, uh, somebody famous, you know, that struggled with cancer, someone like, like Lance Armstrong. Uh, cancer is sort of that. Uh, it doesn't respect people's status, their money. Uh, it affects almost all of us. And that, that's a serious thing. I, in my family, my wife has a... 
my wife's family has a history of breast cancer. So that's, that's a scary thing to think about. And so uh, th- these are the ways that, that we, we, we're not immune from what Isaiah is talking about, griefs and sorrows. We have them as well with diseases um, that affect us. And also hunger, you know, I mean, we, we don't really have, uh, as being middle class, hungry for us is go get a snack, you know. Uh, and that's a blessing. But, but here in St. Louis, I was reading that, that around 60,000 people don't know when their next meal is going to come. They don't know where it's going to come from and when it's going to come from. 60,000 people just in this area. Uh, so, so hunger isn't gone. I mean, our, our brothers and sisters across the globe know what hunger is more than we do. Uh, people in Ghana and Africa, Brazil, and Greece, you know, they, they understand griefs and sorrows. We've got to do a little bit more work, but we, we have issues today too if we, we open our eyes a little bit. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. So he's talking about sin's effects in, in verse 4 here. But he also goes on and talks about not only sin's effects on us, but how we affect sin. So we're affected by sin, but we also affect sin, meaning we commit it, we, we do it. Um, let's, let's, let's look at the next uh, verse, verse 5. The beginning of verse 5, he, he goes on to talk about he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, transgressions and iniquities, these are different words. They're how we effect sin, how we commit sin, how, how we're actually sinning against each other and against God. Now, if we're going to sit here and, and uh, enumerate all the ways that we sin, we're going to be here a long time. Uh, I would need at least a couple of days to disclose everything. Um, and we're not going to do that. You know, you can breathe a sigh of relief. But we need to take this seriously. And, and let's just talk about, we, we talked about how we're all affected by sin in some way. And it actually can tell us how we affect sin. Because the reality is that uh, we don't see each other as affected by sin. But we judge each other on, on, uh, on kind of surface things. Let me give you an example from my own life. I just did this actually, driving home from Chicago. And I was talking to my wife about a friend that I have that I just thought he was a little, he was a little too forward for me, you know. He's just, he came across a little too strongly. And those of you that know me are laughing, okay, Brad's laughing because people say that about me, you know. So um, if I'm saying that about a friend of mine. And I just tell my wife, you know, offhand, like, yeah, I don't know, you know, my friend, his name's not Bob. We'll call him Bob, though. Bob, he comes across a little strong. And uh, my wife's like, yeah, you know, and she started talking about how Bob had a really tough childhood growing up. His dad left him at a young age. His, his mom was single and, and trying to raise him. And, and he got into a, a lot of trouble growing up. And, uh, and I was like, man, I'm an idiot. I mean, I, I'm reacting to, to this surface thing that, you know, Bob's just a little too forward maybe. But really, if I look at him and how sin's affected him, and then I can start to understand that that, you know, it's not that big a deal. We all have different ways to cope, and I can be a little more compassionate towards him. Um, and I, I've been affected by sin recently, and then my grandmother died during finals just this past December. And, uh, and I expected the, the professors at Covenant to be really gracious towards me. You know, it's a seminary, right? I mean, you figure, you know, and, and I was right about that. The professors were really kind, and they, they let me push back some deadlines I expected that, though. You know, I mean, my grandmother died. Uh, but, but the thing is, I didn't extend that same courtesy, that same compassion 
in mercy to my friend Bob. Uh, now, I didn't, you know, he didn't have a death in his family, but we're all affected by sin in some way, shape, or form. Um, but that's how I affected sin, by not being compassionate to him, not being gracious towards him. And we all do that. All of us do that. And so Isaiah, when he's talking about our, our transgressions and our iniquities, that's the type of thing he's talking about. Uh, but what he's talking about, it goes deeper than, than, than that. We, we all mistreat each other, and, and we don't love each other well. Um, but Isaiah here also is including the way that we sin against God. And that's really the, the, the root of, of our sin in that uh, in verse 6, Isaiah says that we all go our own way. That's true for all of us here. Uh, we, we, we turn away from God. Um, some of us, you know, some of us are doing okay, but then when things get tough, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to know what God is telling us. Uh, we want to try to figure it out on our own. We want to try to operate on our own maturity, our own strength. And so these transgressions, these iniquities, it's really, it's our rejection of God, our rebellion of Him. And that's what Isaiah is talking about here. So he's talking about sin's effects on us and how we effect sin in this passage. And so, so what does this have to do with the spiritual vertigo? You know, um, what Isaiah is saying here is, is he's confirming what, what we, we, uh, we know from Genesis, the story of Genesis, that, that there was a fall, that things have gone wrong. And um, in order to, for us, uh, we're talking about falling, you know, to, just to perceive motion, you need a reference point. You can tell my hand is moving right now. Uh, because the background is still. That's your reference point. So you can see that it's moving. And so a uh, reference point gives us an orientation. The Genesis account is our orientation. When we see how good things were meant to be originally, that God created us to be in harmony with him and to be in harmony with each other and to be in harmony with creation, then we can start to see that. that th- we're, we're a far and a long way from that, aren't we? I mean, things aren't the way they're supposed to be right now. We have disease in the world. We have suffering. We have pain. We sin against each other, and we reject God, don't we? So that with that that reference point, we can see that we're falling, and we we can understand that we actually we don't have spiritual vertigo. We're not making this up. It's not an illusion. It's not a misperception. But we are actually falling. We things were meant to be good and whole, but now we do we have the courage now to look at the world around us and see things are broken. Things are messed up. You know, it's, in, it's uncomfortable to think about these things. It's, it's easier to just, just be oblivious. And we hear things like this, like buck up and uh, get over it, right? Uh, some of you have grown up that way. But that's not the message of the, the word. We've got to have the courage to look at the world and say, we, we don't have spiritual vertigo. Things have gone wrong. And so... Is, is that all? I mean, is, is that all that Isaiah is saying? If, if, if that was Isaiah's whole point, it would be a pretty depressing message. Um, thankfully, though, there's, there's more to the story in that we can now see what does God have to say about the fall? What is God doing about the fall? I started to think about this. Um, I remembered my uh, recent adventures with my motorcycle. Now, uh, some of you, you know, you get worried. I didn't fall off my motorcycle, don't worry. But um, that, that was a concern in my family. Uh, my wife, especially, was a little concerned about me getting a, a motorcycle. Uh, and if you've seen me drive, you'd understand what she meant. <clears throat> but in, in my defense, 
you know, I was born and raised in Chicago, and so it's a little bit of a different world. It's sort of a dog-eat-dog world. Um, you know, in driving class, they teach you defensive driving. I was more of an offensive driver um, in more ways than one, actually. So that, that, was, uh, that was in my, you know, I, I've matured since then. I, in my old age, I've seasoned, and I'm a lot more uh, mature and calm now, and so... You know, in reality, I, I, I have uh, settled down and I've, I've learned a lot um, how not to be in such a rush. And, uh, and, you know, I have a wife at home and a baby boy. They need me to stick around. So I was really concerned. I wanted to get a motorcycle, but I wanted to be safe, you know. And so I started looking into the... I didn't get gloves. I bought a jacket. I took a, a motorcycle safety course, which I recommend. Um, do we have any motorcycle riders here? Anybody? Okay. Um, I recommend the course. It's, it's a good course. Um, and and the, but the most important thing that I had to find out about was a helmet, you know. And uh, helmets, they range from like 20 bucks to like $1,000. And so that's, you know, that sounds like a lot of money. But then you think about it, you only get one brain, you know. So, I mean, can you put a price on a helmet? I'm pretty cheap, so I was trying to find a way to put a price on it, actually. And so... I started researching. I started looking into helmets, like, what's the deal? How do you protect your head? And uh, the, the more modestly priced ones, um, you can get them for around 100 bucks, you know, 150, 200 bucks. And, uh, but then there's these, these, these helmets that are, um, they have this other rating. It's called a Snell rating, if you really want to know. But uh, it's, these, these helmets are, are they're harder and they're stiffer, they're, they're firmer. And, and you pay a little more for them because it's supposed to protect your brain more, right? But I started looking into the research, and actually what I found out was that um, these, these more expensive helmets weren't really um, protecting people better than, than some of the cheaper ones. Because when you think about a helmet, uh, hard, hardness isn't the only thing you're going for with the helmet. If that, if that were the only thing you wanted... You could wrap your head in a piece of steel, right? And um, so 90% of motorcycle accidents occur uh, when someone flies off their bike and hits the pavement. And let me just take an aside here to, to uh, encourage everyone here to look out for the motorcycle riders when you see them. <laughs> um, I know some of us, uh, you know, we switch lanes too much, we go too fast, our bikes are loud. But we're really at your mercy out there. Um, just look out for us. Anyway... 90% of accidents occur when you fly off your bike and hit your head on the pavement. And so if you wrapped your head in steel, flew off your bike, hit the pavement, the good news is your helmet would survive. The bad news is your head would not, okay? Because steel is hard, but it's not the right kind of protection for, for your head. So in reality, a, a helmet needs to do three things for you. It needs to, one, be available. You've got to have one. Two, it has to be hard. Uh, it can't just be tissue paper, you know. But three, it has to be soft. What? I mean, that, that's weird, isn't it? That, that doesn't make sense. Maybe I just hit my head. I don't know. Um, but really, this is, the, this is the truth because if uh, when you fly off your motorcycle and hit the pavement, you need it, a helmet to be hard so it can take a shot. But you also, you need it to be soft so it can absorb that blow. So it doesn't transfer that, that blow to your, to your head. That's how it breaks your fall. 
so your, your helmet actually flexes and it, and it breaks a lot of times itself. And that's how it breaks your fall. It protects your head. So what kind of strength does Jesus have? When you think about Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I mean, this, this, this prophecy that Isaiah gave us, it, people didn't understand it because it, it's talking about suffering and, and, and weakness. And, and, and there's like a... There's, there's something soft about it, right? I mean, <clears throat> is that what you think about when you think about God? Or do you think about God, you know, he's strong, he knows everything, he does what he wants. The thing is, Jesus isn't the only one that claims that. Other gods claim, claim that. I mean, you have Allah, you have Vishnu in the Hindu pantheon. You, there's other cultures, other gods claim, claim to know everything and do whatever they want. That doesn't make Jesus unique. But what kind of strength does Jesus have? How does he save us? How does he protect us? How does Jesus break our fall? Let's look again at this passage. Let's read it again and, and, and try to keep that in mind. Uh, we're going to go through the, these two, three verses again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what kind of God do we have in Jesus? What kind of strength does he display? A lot of us here, we, we put onto God our own um, definitions of strength. Especially people here that uh, maybe you didn't get along with your father that much or that well. Uh, that's, that, that happens to a lot of us. If you had a, a father that was physically strong but, but wasn't really there for you, um, then we start to think God is like that often. Is God like that piece of steel? You know, inflexible, rigid, strong, cold, distant, unemotional. Is that, is that how God is? My friends, that's not the case. We see in this passage that, that this passage predicts what Jesus has done on the cross. And Jesus, so Jesus came down, he became a man, and he suffered for us. And Jesus actually breaks our fall, not by being rigid and strong and, and distant, by being intimate, by, by coming next to us, by understanding us, by taking on the punishment that we deserve. That punishment broke him on the cross. That blow fell on him that we, that we deserve, and it cost him his life. That's what this passage is talking about. God isn't some distant, standoffish, cold entity. But God fulfills the three things that, that we talked about we need for protection. He's available in, in, in Jesus. He's available to, to each one of us. And he is hard in the sense that he has the strength to take on this, this blow, to break our fall for us. We're all fallen. We talked about how we're all affected by sin and sins, uh, we effect sin. And Jesus is strong enough to take that onto himself. But he's also, he's tender, he's gentle, and he's soft. He, that, it cost him his life coming into this world, identifying with us, understanding us. Is that the Jesus that you know when you think about him? Some of us here, we, we never heard, we never, uh, we never saw Jesus like this. You know, we might have been going to church for a while. Uh, we've heard all the rules. 
you know, all the condemnation, all the things that we do wrong. And we, we think of God as just a, a lawgiver, um, someone that pans out punishment, a judge. And those things are all true, but this is the heart of our Lord and that he loves us so much. That's what this is a picture of, is his love. Do you see that? He loves us so much that he, he comes down and he breaks our fall for us. And it costs him his life. So, so does that mean, we, we talked about sin's effects. Does that mean we're not affected by sin anymore? Uh, we, do Christians still have cancer? Do Christians still worry about paying the bills? Are they still worried about hunger? Some people preach a message like that. But that's an offense to the gospel. Don't listen to that message because that's false. The reality is that what Jesus did on the cross was he healed us of our most grievous um, wound. And he broke the, the, the heaviest part of our fall first. And that's our separation from God. And that he began a work there. And he, Jesus does heal in miraculous ways even now today. Um, there's, there's things that, that can be explained by, by medicine. And we can pray and ask God to heal us. To, and he, he does deliver us from hunger and from, from sicknesses. But primarily what, what Jesus did on the cross was forgive us of our sins, how we affect sin, how we're in rebellion against God. <clears throat> and that's how he breaks our fall. And in the end, we will be clear of diseases. We won't suffer. We won't cry anymore in the end. And that's what we're looking forward to. But right now we're in between that's something for us to look forward to. Right now, we can enjoy our forgiveness of sins, though. And in that manner, Jesus has broken all of our falls. Uh, but but if, if you're here today and you've never, you never trusted Jesus to break your fall, you never trusted him to take uh, the sins that you commit onto himself, and maybe you're here and you never thought about how Jesus' broken body is there to, to save you from sin's effects on you, You've been, maybe you're neglected. Maybe you're abused. Uh, maybe you're suffering from depression. Your physical ailments, your knees, your back, these things get us down. They're not to be ignored. But Jesus knows about those things. And he's, he's there to save us from that as well. I, I'm gonna, I have a couple of closing thoughts to say. Um, but right now I want to take a moment not to just say a prayer. Um, those of you that, that already know Jesus, why don't you pray with me? Um, and... And pray for the people that, that don't know Jesus that are here. And if, if you don't, if you haven't ever trusted Jesus, you haven't ever asked him to break your fall, to take on to him, himself, your sins, and, uh, and restore you to God, uh, now is the perfect time to do that. It's a new year, and uh, um, there's no better time than to, to do that right now. Uh, if you want to do that, I'm going to say a quick prayer right now. Um, just bow your heads and, and, and just... just uh, Say these words along with me in your heart. Just pray with me, please. Dear Father, we, uh, we sin against you, but we're also affected by sin. We, we're broken. We're in trouble. We, have, we don't have it all together. But we know that you love us, and we know on the cross, Jesus, that you took our punishment. Jesus, right now I want to put my trust in you. I want to uh, accept your work on the cross in my life. I know that you paid for my sins by your blood. You died for me. And you want to restore me to yourself, to communion with you and with your people. You want to make me whole. And through your cross, 
you've done that. Please accept me just the way I am and help me to live in your strength from now on. Amen. If you pray that prayer for the first time, um, I'm going to be up here with, with Pastor Tom, and uh, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to just, just hear your story and, and uh, come alongside with you. I'm messed up myself. I don't have it all together. So uh, we got to help each other out, you know. Uh, the, the rest of you, 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 have, you have trusted in Jesus, you know. Um, you know that he breaks your fall. Uh, maybe you've thought about it in a new way, though, today. Um, or maybe it's just a, a reminder. We all need reminders, though, right? And so we need to think about something else. How, how are we living out this reality of Jesus breaking our fall? You know the rest of the story, that on Easter we celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead and broken, but he rose again. He walked out of that grave, and uh, uh, we celebrate the resurrection together. Are we living out that resurrection in our lives? The, the reality is that we're, uh, Jesus broke our fall, but this is what we, we keep doing. You know, we, we keep falling over. We keep uh, drifting into those old patterns, right? We, we keep, you know, when I, thought, when I talked about how we uh, are affected by sin, I ho- hopefully you, you started to think about your own life. Um, how were how you affected by sin? Whether it's through your, your upbringing, uh, the, death, the death of a close one, sickness that you have. But hopefully you also start thinking about how you are actually affecting sin, how you're rebelling against God. I know that's what I think about when I look at this passage. Why do we do that? We know what it costs Jesus to break our fall, but we keep drifting back into that, the pattern of falling over. When Jesus is telling us to stand, stand on him and his strength, that he's kind and he's available and he's strong for us. So we ought to do that today. Those, those sins that, that you've, you, there's, a, there's been a pattern in your life. You keep going back to these sins that keep reoccurring. We ought to trust Jesus today and ask him for strength to help us fight those sins in his name, not in our own strength, but because he's strong for us. Either way, we, we all need to respond to this. Jesus has come and he's done a great thing here. And so let us all respond now. Please pray with me.